Greetings everyone, my name is William Porter. Welcome to this edition of Storytelling Time. This podcast is sponsored by Redot Black Entrepreneurs Podcasting Network. Today's podcast is a previously recorded interview that I had with a local judge here in the Raleigh, North Carolina area. The foundation scripture is Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6 where it says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Judge Gregory, I'd like for you, first of all, to tell our listening audience about your profession and where is your area of jurisdiction? Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for having me on your show. Um, My name is Keith Gregory. I'm a Superior Court judge, a resident Superior Court judge here in Wake County. Um, You asked me my jurisdiction. As a Superior Court judge, our jurisdiction We cover all 100 counties of North Carolina. Um, I am currently commissioned in Durham, North Carolina for the next six months. Okay. Well, based on your work in the legal area, could you tell us the importance of the verse of scripture that I just read, uh, especially as it relates to our youth? Wow, that's interesting. Um, You know, Eight years ago, I was a district court judge originally. And when I took the bench eight years ago, the first thing I did the very first day was I had all the gentlemen in the audience, all the young guys and all the guys in the audience to step back outside, go to the men's room and tuck their shirt tails in and pull their pants up. Um, And, you know, a lot of people said, why are you doing that? I said, well, because it's important. You know, you want to have self-respect. Um, respect for the court, um, the flag, and so forth. Um, I mentioned that because some of the young guys, um, when they would attempt to disobey that ruling or when they would answer me as opposed to saying, you know, yes, sir, no, sir, when they would say, yeah, I would say, now, wait a second, what did you say? And they would say, yes, sir. Um, That let me know that they knew right from wrong. Um, That verse, um, essentially, in my humble opinion, is talking about you know, when you raise up a child a certain way, even if they stray, they, if you've raised them a certain way, they'll know what to come back to. Um, and I, I like to think that in the courtroom, even with people that may have been charged with an offense, um, something that they've been deemed to have violated the law, I think generally people know right from wrong, um, and we all make mistakes. But I think when we atone for those mistakes um, by, you know, as simply saying, you know, at, at times, I'm sorry, I know I was wrong. Um, we, we know a better way to do things. I think that scripture really um, speaks to that. Well, speaking of the courtroom, well, what is your typical day like uh, demographically? Uh, in other words, who are involved most in your uh court cases and I assume that uh, you have some very interesting situations that occur from time to time. (laughs) Well I've been a lawyer for 23 years Um, so I have seen everything um, particularly on the criminal side as far as anything from an infraction to unfortunately um, having to try the death penalty Um, and everything in between. I think you asked me who as far as the demographics, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but I don't think it's a secret. Um, I do see a lot of young African-American males in the courtroom. Um, I've seen that, you know, since I started in 1995 as an assistant public defender. And um, when I was an assistant district attorney and even as a private practice attorney and 
district court judge and now as a superior court judge. Um, I still see um, a disproportionate number of African-American um, men in our criminal justice system. Um, as far as a typical day, um, as a superior court judge, my day will range from having the prosecutor, if it's on the criminal court, tell me, judge, we're going to do pleas today or we're going to do a jury trial today. Um, and that's the same on the civil side. The attorneys will tell me if we are doing motions um, or if we're going to have a jury trial. Uh, that is a little different than when I was a district court judge. As a district court judge, maybe I should explain it if it's okay, the difference between district court and superior court. In North Carolina, um, we have um, 273 district court judges. They handle, um, on the criminal side, misdemeanors, um, and some of the counties handle low-level felonies. On the civil side, they handle everything up to $25,000. So if you have a civil suit and you're suing someone and that amount's gonna be under 25,000, a district court judge, he or she can handle that either by bench trial or a jury trial. Um, in superior court, the superior court judges on the, we have 105 superior court judges in North Carolina and they handle all misdemeanors and all felonies. Um, and on the civil side, they handle all matters above $25,000. So that's a breakdown of the, between the two courtrooms. Um, but as far as a typical day, um, the, the day ranges from, um, you know, you'll hear, I'll tell you this, in 1995, just to kind of go back now, um, as a, in a, 1996, as an assistant prosecutor, I had days where I would deal with people that had, you know, seatbelt violations to, um, as a prosecutor dealing with people that have been charged with murder um, and having to prosecute those matters. Um, as a defense attorney, I had to defend people that were charged with criminal offenses. So um, as a judge, I'm not the person that's involved in the, um, so to speak, I'm not the player anymore, I'm the referee. So I, I, my job is to call the balls and strikes. But most importantly as a judge, my job is to be fair and impartial and to make sure everyone's treated fairly, regardless of race, gender, religion, or sexual orientation. I think a judge's role, he or she should not be the one involved in the case. They should stay out of it, let the lawyers handle it, but they need to make sure people are treated fairly on both sides. Okay, well you actually answered the, my next question, which was uh, gonna be uh, what uh, is the level of offenses uh, we're talking about here? Uh, and uh, I guess it's across the board from uh, petty offenses to uh, violent crimes. Yes, sir. We're here with Judge Keith Gregory. Judge Gregory, this show is about providing inspiration to our listeners. In light of that, what hope do you see for communities of color, especially as it relates to young African-American males who seem to be affected disproportionately by our legal system? When, it, when compared to other groups, what do you say about that? Well, let me say this now. It your listeners can't see me, but um, I'm an African-American male um, and who happens to be a superior court judge who happens to believe that um, for what it's worth, we have the best criminal justice system in the world. Um, I say that knowing that we have our faults and we have our problems in our criminal justice system. Um, but 
I truly do believe it's the best compared to uh, maybe some other countries where you don't have a right um, to have a trial. Um, you don't have a right to present evidence and so forth. Now, to be more direct with what you're asking me, um, the hope that I believe, um, honestly, in my heart, I, I, I'm not the type of person that, that thinks that um, we should only address a problem looking on the outside. We need to look inside first. We need to look inside first because every day, I'm going to tell you, I see black on black crime. And I, I have a problem when um, a young man um, decides he or she, um, or a young man, meaning he doesn't want to um, earn his keep. Now, I'll tell you this. On one of my first trials as a prosecutor, um, a young guy decided he wanted to take someone's boots. So he took a gun and told the person, I'll take your life or I'll take your boots. Well, I'm a new prosecutor at the time, and you know I'm trying my first big trial um, after about a year, year and a half of being in the DA's office. And I had written out a closing argument. It was really long, and then it hit me, and I kind of call it my spotty senses, i.e., as God tapping me on the shoulder and said, speak from the heart. I just told that jury, I said, look, you, all of you go to work, you get a paycheck, you take that paycheck, you buy clothing, you pay your mortgage, you buy food, you even buy boots. You know what he did? He took a gun and said, I'll take your life or those boots. That jury convicted him within 15 to 20 minutes and they did the right thing. And it was not a black white issue. It was a moral issue. And I think we need to look inside first. I'm not naive about the fact. Do I know that there's still institutional racism out there? Yes, I recognize that. But I also recognize this. I don't believe in screaming something when it's not there. I think, I'd like to think sitting up there as a superior court judge, hopefully I serve as a role model to let young African-American males know um, you can become a judge. You can become a law enforcement officer. You can become a lawyer. You can become anything you want. What you don't have a right to do is not earn like everyone else does. You can't use an excuse. Um, when there is something out there, especially in the courtroom, if someone has done something wrong um, and that wrong comes from the other side, uh, meaning the state has not presented their evidence correctly, it's my job to make sure you're treated fairly and impartially. But if you were in the courtroom, especially in superior court, something's wrong. If you're getting charged with robbery charges, um, rape charges, murder charges, something's already wrong. Um, I think it starts in the home. I really do. I think as um, the father of a 25-year-old, um, and I will I'll put this out here, you know, I was married and um, we divorced, but I didn't divorce my son. I still had the obligation to raise him um, and to teach him what it is to be not only a responsible citizen, a young man in this, in this country, but just what it means to, to have self-respect. Um, I, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I'm speaking from the heart because unfortunately, and I will go there, you know, I know that we see these things in reference to police brutality and so forth. Um, I, I don't want to, um, I, I don't want to, no one wants to see that. Um, but more importantly, um, you have these situations where 
being respectful is not a bad thing. You know, um, just because you get pulled over and you may not agree with that, that officer, that's not the time to argue. That's not the time to, to, to let that officer know you don't like them. And, you know, if you want to argue that point, you do that in the courtroom. You do that where you can present your facts and what you believe to be the right thing. But if you're out there and you want to fight and argue and that officer doesn't know, you're putting yourself in jeopardy because that officer doesn't know you. He doesn't know you. And to me, that's not a black-white issue. That's a moral issue. When, when racism rears its, its ugly head, I think generally we know when that occurs. But that's not every day. And I, I refuse to believe, especially unfortunately with black-on-black crime, that um, we have a lot of, I believe in my humble opinion, a lot of conversations that need to be had um, from within. I say this in jest, but you must have a crystal ball because I, it, it leads, what you're saying leads into my next question, uh, which uh, has to do with uh, police and the role of police protection in our communities. But uh, laying aside partisan debates, uh, how do you assess the current political environment in America, especially as it relates to the role of police in our communities? And I think you hit on some of that in your last response. I'm going to tell you this, um, Dr. Porter. Um, tonight when I go home, if um, my neighbor tells me that um, someone is broken into their home, um, I'm not going to be the person that's going to go capture the person that broke into their home. I'm going to advise them, you need to call law enforcement so law enforcement can handle, um, do their job. When you're stopped by a law enforcement officer, that is not the time to argue your case. You know why? Right there, you don't have a defense attorney. You don't have a prosecutor. You don't have a deputy that's ensuring, like a courtroom, um, that everyone is safe. And you don't have a judge. And you don't have a jury. All you have is yourself with someone who has stopped you and possibly is accused of committing a crime. That's all it is at that point. You have been assuming that that officer thinks you've committed a crime, he or she, as a mechanism of that, may cite you or may arrest you. When you want to fight this, you do that in the courtroom. But I think the key is you want to be able to leave that situation with your life. In 1998, 1998 I was stopped as a prosecutor. During the daytime, I had just left the courthouse. Now, mind you, I'm a felony prosecutor. I'm driving my white little sports car, and the officer, the lights come on, and he puts his hand on his gun, and he walks up to my door. Now, mind you, I'm a felony prosecutor, meaning that I handle major felonies. I'm hot stuff, I guess. And this officer comes up to my door and says to me, oh, it's you. And says, well, just so you know, your registration is expired. Now, I could have said, how dare you? You put your hand on your gun. I'm a felony prosecutor, da, 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 and could have escalated. Guess what? My registration was expired. Guess what? When he came up to the door, he didn't know who I was. He had his hand on his gun. Did I like that? No. But did I argue with him? No. And guess what happened? Did he give me a ticket? No, he did not. I didn't escalate the situation. He told me, your registration's expired. Now, 
is that a is that a black white issue? Is that a moral? Is is that an issue where it's like he's being racist? No, he saw an expired registration, and when I got home, he was right. My registration um, was expired, so I I. I could have escalated it. Why would I? I that's that's my, I guess that's my whole point. If that makes sense. No, that that makes perfect sense. And you mentioned uh, uh, morality, basically, uh, as well as uh, earlier. You mentioned that as a judge, uh, uh, you feel that there's a need to be fair, and that's certainly reasonable. Uh, and you also mentioned right and wrong. So my next question has to do with. Uh, the role of religion in your case, uh, and I assume that that's a very significant role, especially in your position. Could you address that for a little bit before we go to break? You know, they say that um, you should not, in a courtroom, um, bring religion into the courtroom. They say that, however, there's a Bible that um, when witnesses testify, they have the right to swear on the Bible or affirm. I have always taken my job, I don't care if it's as prosecutor, defense attorney, and now as a judge at the district court level and now at the superior court level, it's never been about me. It's never been about me. I always, people laugh at me. I call it my spidey senses. Like I said earlier, that's just God tapping me on the shoulder saying, uh, Keith, you need to do it this way or do it that way. Um, I don't deserve to sit on the superior court bench if I can't be fair. And therefore, any decision I make, I always just say to myself, especially before I walk into a courtroom, God, let me do the right thing. And let me do the right thing. Don't, don't make it about myself. Maybe this will help too, especially at the district court level. Um, I mentioned the shirt tails and having the guys tuck the shirt tails in. I had some attorneys that didn't like that. They were like, why are you making these guys tuck the shirt tails in? I don't like that. And um, still, uh, they're going to have to do it. Um, but those same attorneys would say, well, I want to try my case in front of you. And I would say, well, why do you want to try your case in front of me? You don't like my policy about the shirt tails. They would say, because you're fair. I might not like your policy, but I know you're going to treat my client fairly. You're going to be fair. Well, I, I attribute that to just knowing that um, when you mentioned raise a child up the right way so they'll come back. Well, that's how my parents um, raise myself and my three sisters so that um, you don't treat people um, any old way, you know, you treat them the right way. And in this particular profession, my job is to be fair and impartial. Okay, that's that's great. And that's certainly inspirational. And um, but we also recognize the challenges that you have in your profession to keep that uh, motto. We'll be right back. The Dr. Joe L. Dudley Senior Legacy Project is currently underway to document the legacy and lifetime impact of this legendary businessman, hair care entrepreneur, and humanitarian. Tune in to hear the stories of how one man trained, mentored, and impacted the lives of thousands. Visit www.patreon.com slash Joe Dudley Senior and be inspired to walk by faith and make your own dreams come true. The Dr. Joe L. Dudley Senior Legacy Project is sponsored by Every Dot Black. No.net and no.com. Just every dot black. Dot black is the new.com. Welcome back. We're finishing things up on today's program. Uh, but I do want to ask you this, Judge Gregory. That is, uh, we'll be entering an election season very soon. And I understand you're getting into the political arena to make some useful changes for all of us. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, 
in North Carolina, judges are elected. Um, and it just so happens that this November I will be up for election. I was appointed um, by Governor Cooper um, in May of this year. And as a result, um, I still have to be on the ballot to be elected. Um, I do have opposition, so I'm prayerful and hopeful that um, and I, I'm confident that we will um, be successful. Um, I will tell you this. Um, prior to being um, the Superior Court judge, I've mentioned I was a district court judge for eight years. And I only mentioned that because I was the president of the District Court Judges Association. I was um, elected by my my peers, um, the district court judges. And one of the things we had to deal with was that um, there was something that the legislature wanted to do as far as having judges be appointed by the legislature and not be elected by the citizens of um, North Carolina. And the District Court Judges Association, um, I believe it was 69% um, voted that we wanted to still be elected. And I personally agree with that. I think judges should be elected. I think people, the people of North Carolina should have the right to choose who they vote to be their judges. Um, now, one of the things, unfortunately, is that it's now partisan. Um, when, I was a, when I was appointed in 2010 by Governor Perdue um, as a district court judge, I still had to be elected that same year, but it was nonpartisan. I will tell you this, Dr. Porter, in my eight years as a judge, I've never had anyone come up to me in the courtroom and say, hey, judge, before you give your ruling, are you a Democrat or are you a Republican? Um, They would say, are you going to give me a court cost? Are you going to make this person do probation? You know, I would caution your listeners, um, and I think this is very important. This is in my humble opinion. If you have judges that tout that they are conservative judges or judges that tout that they're liberal judges, be cautious and be fearful of that. Um, When I took the oath as a district court judge and when I took the oath as a superior court judge, nowhere in that oath does it say, I swear to be conservative. I swear to be liberal. What it says is that I swear to be fair and impartial to everyone and I'm generalizing, it doesn't mention your political party in that oath, and nor should it as a, as a judge. There, we're limited as to what we can say as judges. I can't come on here and say, I'm going to rule this way anytime someone comes in front of me with this type of issue. That would be unfair. So I guess I caution your listeners, if you hear people saying that I'm a conservative judge or I'm a liberal judge, I want you to think about that. Are they saying that since I'm a conservative judge or a liberal judge, If you don't happen to have the same views and you happen to be in front of them, then you may not get the fairness and impartiality that you are supposed to. That would be that would be horrendous. So that's why I think when it became partisan, um, it just makes it tougher, because even though I'm a Democrat, it doesn't make a difference. Um, We have a hundred. We have. One million people that live in Wake County, and I'm just talking about Wake County um, as a dis- when I was a district court judge. Um, I don't know who came in front of me, but I guarantee you, I'm sure I had Democrats, Republicans, unaffiliates, and so forth, and did not know, and did not, it didn't matter. Um, I looked at the facts and applied the law fairly and impartially. So when you talk about politics, and then you talk about the judiciary, 
I can confidently say that the 273 district court judges that I worked with um, for those eight years and now the 105 superior court judges that I work with, I'm confident that as judges, these respected jurors want to do a good job and they don't base it on being a Republican or being a Democrat. They know that the oath requires them to be fair and impartial. Yeah, you mentioned partisan politics, and uh, unfortunately, that's a reality of political life today in America, uh, both at the federal, state, and local level. Mm-hmm. So, you, something you can't get away from. Well, again, I'd like to thank uh, you, Judge Gregory, for being with us today. Uh, let me ask you this. Is there any, anything else that you want to add that you think you may have missed from this <laughs> interview? Well, you've covered a lot. But. <laughs> well, I'll say this, uh, because you, you concluded with the, you know, the partisan um, politics. I've been blessed to have um, bipartisan support um, through my eight years, even when it wasn't partisan. Um, and now that it is partisan, I still have bipartisan support. Um, I was fortunate that Sheriff um, Donnie Harrison, he um, endorsed me. He's a Republican. The governor appointed me. He's a Democrat. And I've got good bipartisan support on both sides. I'm prayerful, as I said, and hopeful and confident that um, this November we will be successful. Um, I will tell you that if anyone wants to reach me, um, they can go to my website, www.judgekeithgregory.com. Um, it's very simple, and you will get a chance to learn more about me. Um, I will say this. I, I didn't talk much about it, but I'm the proud father of a 25-year-old, uh, my son Carter um, Gregory. He graduated from Chapel Hill in 2015. He got accepted to law school and decided, Dad, I'm not going to law school. I'm going to go out to California. He works for a company called Capital Records. He's an A&R rep, um, so I'm very very proud of him, and that's that's um, my pride and joy. So when I'm in the courtroom, probably one of the reasons why I like to um, make sure the young guys particularly know, hey, I want you to do it the right way is because part of that's being a dad, and I, I truly care. Um, and that doesn't make a difference, black, white. I, I care about, you know, the particularly the young people, just knowing that you have a lot of living to do, and you might make a mistake, but you can atone for that and You've got a lot of living and a lot of life, and um, I know not everyone comes from, um, you know, my background or, you know, my son's background, but I do believe that um, underneath it all, we all are the same, and we all know right from wrong, and um, my job is, as I said, I know I've said it over and over again, is to treat everybody the same and be fair to everybody. And I know you mentioned your son being at uh, Chapel Hill, but of course you, I understand, went to. So I graduated from the University of Virginia, so I'm sorry to the Tar Hill fans, but um, UVA is my undergraduate school. But I ended up, um, I came down here to go to law school at North Carolina Central um, University and go Eagles. So I'm an Eagle um, also. Well, I'm an alumnus as well of North Carolina Central. That's fantastic. So. Great, great. <laughs> well, again, thank you, Judge Gregory, for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Well. That's our show for today. A shout out goes to Every Dot Black Entrepreneurs Podcasting Network, the sponsor of this show. And thank you, our listening audience, for being with us. Remember, regardless of what you may be going through, there's always more, more good things coming your way. Have a nice day and we'll see you the next time.
We as a people have had to overcome slavery and secondly obtain our civil rights. But the third piece is economic equality. And I'm convinced that we can only achieve economic equality through entrepreneurship with the use of technology. My name is Jimmy Davies, and that is why I created the Every.Black website for entrepreneurs. So visit us today at www.every.black, E-V-E-R-Y dot B-L-A-C-K. Learn about entrepreneurship and be on your way to financial freedom. Just go to every.black, E-V-E-R-Y dot B-L-A-C-K. No.com, no.net. Just every dot black. Dot black is the new dot com.